This is Binod Shankar and you're listening to the Real Finance Mentor podcast from the realfinancementor.com. The Real Finance Mentor is your go-to resource for insight and inspiration on careers in finance, CFA and more. Now you think why this podcast? Well, my goal is to deliver insight and inspiration for your finance career by making it one relatable. This is not theoretical stuff. We zero in on the critical practical issues. Number 2, authentic. No bullshit, no sidestepping. The topics, guests and questions are all from that perspective. And number 3, take a charge the ground and see if a charge holder at 17 plus years as a corporate warrior, mixing 10 years of entrepreneurship, through a decade of full-time CFA training, at speaking, mentoring, cycling and mountaineering, and that's me. Welcome to the real finance mentor, or as I call it, RFM. Hi everyone this is Binod Shankar here the real finance mentor with another edition of the real finance mentor podcast podcast that brings you insight and inspiration for your careers um today as always i've searched far and wide to bring you a special guest and who will share uh, his insights on careers on leadership on uh, career management and of course to the top tips for executives Uh, I want to introduce uh, my good friend Muhammad Lagari. Muhammad is currently based in Dubai and uh, currently works as chief and chief human capital officer for Abdul Latif Jamil International, which is one of the region's, region's largest and most successful private businesses. Muhammad has worked for several years at Mercer, where he was senior principal. Mercer is one of the largest, uh, world's largest and most successful human resources consulting firms. Muhammad holds an MBA from INSEAD, a master's degree in quality management and several certifications including leadership coaching certification from Marshall Goldsmith. He's also um and that's a passion he shares with me, he's an aviation enthusiast and as you will uh, see and hear as as the podcast proceeds, he's also a great storyteller. Muhammad and I uh, we met about a decade ago and he's always impressed me with his authenticity, his patience and his immense wisdom relating to education career and life uh, as a whole so with that impressive build up mohammed welcome to the show uh, thank you so much benod it's it's a pleasure uh, meeting you today and uh, you know it's it's always great to see you thank you so much so i have lots of questions to ask you but i'm going to ask you a question which troubles many professionals at mid and senior level and that's about this midlife career crisis now you have had a career spanning over 30 years why are so many senior professionals experiencing a midlife career crisis these days hmm. okay so uh, let me start by saying yes you know 30 years is a long time uh, so in simple i would say i've been working a lot uh, a long time i would say uh, and going through a midlife career uh, crisis or anything I I believe that's quite natural you know it 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 you see the the one of the, the way I look at it when we start our careers our objectives are different our needs are different our requirements are different you know you come out of school uh, or university uh, you know you you once you finish your studies most of the times your primary objective is to find a job mm. you find a job and your needs start changing right uh you find a job with the place you wanted to be at is is a great achievement at that time yeah but your primary objectives are are different from say for example 15 years down the line 
let me let me just uh, you know kind of explain that a little further. I was just actually talking to uh, somebody very close to me just a few days ago, and I asked him, so you know, how's the job going? And he says it's going well. Oh, great! You know, so how many, how much, how how long have you spent there? And he goes like almost a year now. Great. And what are you doing about the future? Well, you know, I'm doing well. I'm happy. The company is great. Work is wonderful. Great. I mean, that's wonderful. But what are you doing about the future? And usually, you know, once we are happy, once we once we are doing a good job, the company is good. We are taken care of. You know, all the fancy stuff that people talk about is is all there. People just take it easy. And I think, like I said at the very beginning, it's those choices at the beginning and a continuous change or continuous improvement which 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 actually makes a difference. So I would say have, going through a midlife crisis or going through a point in your career where you may not feel as happy or as enthusiastic when you started is very natural, very normal, okay? Happens to everybody, circumstances change. Uh, and, you know, your requirements, your needs, your expectations, your aspirations, everything changes. So it's it's something very normal. It's something very natural. Uh, it all depends on how you manage it or how well prepared were you for it. And I'll be more than happy, you know, to, to describe and, and actually explain uh, as, you know, from an HR perspective and, and myself as an HR professional, you know, how actually careers evolve. And, you know, as we go through this discussion, uh, how to actually look at these things, because I come across this all the time. I come across this, you know, at, at different levels with different people, you know, completely different expectations and all. Uh, so, yeah, that's 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 what I would say. Interesting. Now, I recall, you know, when we had a call the other day, you, you know, we were discussing the same topic and you made a very interesting observation which was that people need to be clear on their priorities and goals. But mm. then this is easier said than done. From personal experience, as well as experience in hiring and managing others, what are three ways by which you think they can, you know, uh, be clear about their priorities and goals? Okay. See, uh, the, the way I would explain this is, when you work for an organization, you know, typically, you know, there is a, a pyramid organization, right? So when you start your career, when you, you know, when you when you begin your career, you're at, you know, at the lower, lower end of the of the pyramid. And the, the lower end of the pyramid is always broader. So what basically that means is there is more jobs and roles available to you, right? So let's say, for example, uh, you know, if we talk about people in finance or or you know, your finance and accounting divisions, uh, a lot of people would join an organization, for example, as a, uh, say, for example, a financial analyst or an accountant, right? Mm. Uh, the thing is, that is the point where, you know, you've just maybe come out of college, university, school, whatever. Uh, and the expectation is that, you know, you would have certain technical skill sets. Now, obviously, you haven't really worked anywhere yet. And I'm saying, you know, at the very start. So your university degree or your college degree or whatever uh, kind of gives us as HR uh, a bit of confidence that you've actually gone through a certain, uh, you know, a certain uh, set of uh, courses and stuff in your school. You know, that's when people would also be asking you for your transcripts because they want to know, you know, how well did you perform? Uh, are you somebody who, who, who actually 
understands these concepts and stuff. And then over time, you know, you will be taught skill sets as you uh, come, you know, as you join the organization. And I'm sure you've heard the the the, the famous, uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 repeated over and over again uh, that you you hire people for their attitude, and skills is something which is learned on the job. Mm-hmm. So yes, I mean that is kind of uh, you know it's it's kind of true, right? And usually that's why your probation periods and all are are, are put into place because uh, you know it is expected that your your behavior, your attitude, how you interact with others, you know the soft skills in terms of communication and this and that will be observed. And if you actually meet the expectations and I can live up to the uh, the culture of the organization you will then be accepted and, you know, hopefully you'll grow. Now, just like the pyramid is, you know, narrow at the top, broad at the bottom, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of your career and how long you stay in jobs is the other way around. Mm. So what you should, what you would and should expect is that, for example, when you're at an accountant or a finance uh, uh, analyst or something, let's say you'll stay in the role for a year, maybe two years, Okay, you will progress into a senior and then you will become a supervisor and then you'll become a manager. And, you know, eventually you say, for example, you become a financial controller or maybe even a CFO or something. Your job titles can, uh, you know, job titles are interesting because, you know, it's 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 a fancy way to keep people happy. That's the way I look at them. Mm. Uh, But the interesting thing is, as you grow in your organization, the expectations change from just simple technical skill sets to other competencies. You know, for example, you know, there is certain behavioral competencies which you're expected to display. There are certain leadership competencies which you're expected to display. And on top of that, yes, you know, you're also expected to learn in terms of developing your, you know, your skill sets. So the expectation is that you will grow, right? And growth would be in all of these areas. I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you another very simple example. You know, I've actually seen people coming up with these fancy programs. You know, we are bringing these new people in. We are putting them on some sort of a training and development program. And then when I see some of them, and you know, for example, I see that they will spend a few months on leadership development. My question mm-hmm. is, you know, these, you know, these, these. Uh, I mean, if I can call them kids or little children, okay. What is the point of taking them to a leadership module? Right. Mm-hmm. Because this is something which they will probably have to display very, you know, after a few years in their career. Right now, yes, you know, your your soft skills, you know, you are able to communicate well, you're able to work with others, you know, for example, you know, you 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 become a team player. Yes, I mean that makes a lot of sense, right? So again, you know, as we grow in our careers, the expectation, like I said, keeps on getting more and more. And this is also one of the reasons why the expectation is that you'll stay longer in a role as you go up the ladder. Mm. So in simple, what I'm saying is an accountant, maybe after a year, two years, should expect a, a, you know some sort of growth, You know, not only a salary increment, but also a growth in terms of job title and responsibilities. But uh, when you're a finance manager, if you're a finance manager for five years or seven years, that's that's perfectly fine. I mean, mm. that's that's you know the expectation is that this is when you're leading others. This is when you know in uh, there's a very there's a very interesting book, uh, uh, the leadership pipeline. It's it's based actually on the GE model of leadership development. Okay, where they actually you know create a zigzag model of how you progress through your career. 
So you are an individual contributor. You go into a supervisory or managerial role where you get stuff from others done, right? And then you go into the next level where you get stuff from those who then get it done from others, you know? So you, you keep on growing. So interestingly, you know, if we understand that and if we actually prepare for that, that is how we can, number one, get over or be prepared uh, uh, you know, when the stage comes, when, you know, some people might actually be facing a midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. And and like that example, which I was uh, talking about earlier on. So, for example, you know, if you're happy in what you're doing and you're very comfortable with what you're doing, say, for example, after three years, you go to your organization and you say, well, you know, I've been here three years. I expect a promotion or something, right? They could turn around and say, well, you're doing the same thing over and over again, right? What new have you learned? What is it that you bring to the table that we should take you to the next level? If the expectation is tenure-based, you know, to me, you know, it's probably like maybe the first step, the second step. But after that, unless I see something, unless I, there is a reason for you to be at the next level, you know, why why would you do that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's all about, uh, you know, it's all about, how we actually face these challenges and how we prepare for these challenges. And, you know, unless there is the discipline, there is the determination to, to actually move ahead, okay, you know, some people could be lucky, but mm. in general, those who, who can actually display uh, growth in terms of their skill set, in terms of their behavior, in terms of their leadership abilities, eventually will hit the, if I can call it the glass ceiling, very mm. quickly in there. Okay, so further to what I just, uh, you know, tried to explain, how do you actually do this? You know, how do you, how do you prepare? So the way I would obviously advise people is self-analysis, you know, self-awareness is very, very important, right? You have to analyze your own strengths and weaknesses yourself. And nobody knows you better than you yourself, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, uh, sometimes you with all due respect, you know, sometimes you may think, you know, you just fool someone, but that could happen once, twice, you know, doesn't happen all the time. So one has to be very honest and clear with oneself. Mm. And once you know where you want to be in your career, you have to try to understand. And basically, like I said earlier on, also, you have to prepare yourself. So you would know, for example, you know, some people would be very good uh, technically, mm. right? Uh, others may actually be very good in terms of their managerial abilities, right? And, you know, usually in HR, we say everybody generally starts off as a generalist, okay? So the usual expectation is, you know, you'll all start off as a generalist. Mm. And then you come to a point, you know, where you either go a managerial path or you take a technical path. And you yourself know best, you know, what your strengths are. So if you want to go into, say, for example, a managerial path, you have to make sure you work on those skill sets and those competencies. And if you believe that, you know, for example, that is not my, uh, you know, that's that's not something I'm good at, that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. That's where you actually take mm -hmm. that decision. You upskill yourself in terms of your technical abilities and your expectation, which you should always obviously share with your organization, 
uh, is that you would be taking a technical path. You know, you could become an analyst and then a very good one and then a super one and then a super, super good one. And that's perfectly fine. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I think this is something always to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, another point which obviously comes to my mind and, you know, we started off with your with your choices in terms of career and all of that. Talking about people in the Middle East, you know, a lot of us come to the Middle East for, you know, very obvious reasons. One of them being, uh, you know, the 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 the, the financial uh, gain that we have when we come here, right? Generally, you know, it's a tax-free environment. You know, it's a very safe place to be in. And I'm speaking for 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 example, where I'm living, which is Dubai. You know, it's it's a it's a wonderful place. It's a great mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. I think one other thing one should probably also practice is count your blessings every day you know I've, I've actually come across so many people who for one reason or the other decided that you know they'd achieved whatever they have to go some other place and then they realize what they have given up mm. okay so again you know counting your blessings making sure you're absolutely sure about what you're doing and you know what you wish to achieve that helps a lot that helps a lot in terms of us being satisfied because I think the end goal is always to try and be satisfied because mm-hmm. if you're not satisfied you know all the money in the world and all the success in the world and you know no matter what you call it you, you will just not be you know you won't be happy so that's that's how I would mm-hmm. uh, look at it and advise people that you know if you can keep these two points in mind you should be able to come over you know get over whatever issues you might actually think you're facing you did an executive MBA from in Seattle. Now, this executive MBA route is taken by many in their 30s and 40s. And I've seen, I know many who've done that. Many who feel stagnated and who hope that an MBA from a top business school um, will help them rise in their careers. What are the three things someone must consider before enrolling for such a expensive program in terms of both time and effort and, and of course money as well mm-hmm. yes you know I, and and by the way uh you know i see that a lot of the times mm-hmm. okay uh, and and this basically takes me to the the previous uh you know point that we were talking about see added qualifications is great right added qualifications mean you know, you 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 know. For example, uh, when I talk about certifications or or any of these degrees and stuff, basically what you're proving is that you have the ability to go through a certain body of knowledge. You were then tested on that body of knowledge. You found to actually know the concepts in that body of knowledge, and the expectation is that by knowing that, you will be able to do other stuff which you may not have been doing in the past. Right now, the beauty of it is. Is that something which is aligned to whatever you wish to achieve in your career? Right? And, you know, I was explaining to somebody one day, and I said, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, I want to do something. I don't really do anything, but I start praying. Mm-hmm. You know, prayers will not get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? It's 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 great to pray. You know, it's, it's great to be humble. It's, it's great to have good expectations. But prayers alone will not get you there. Mm-hmm. you will also have to do something. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of an NCR MBA, you're absolutely right. It's a very expensive program. If your organization is sponsoring you, that means they have something in mind for you. That means once you complete the program, 
there is something they will actually do, you know, to help you in terms of your career based on this knowledge, the skill sets, the network, whatever that you gain out of NCR. But if that is not the case, then going to NCR is just like a prayer. Okay, because you go, you spend a lot of money, you come back, your organization doesn't really want you there. Okay, you went there by your own free choice. If you do that, you have to be prepared in terms of how you're going to use, how you're going to actually benefit from Mm. this investment which you have made in yourself. Mm. And a lot of the times I actually find people very unhappy and frustrated. You know, they made this investment and nothing was given back to them. Well, you were not asked to do that in the first place. You did it by your own free will, right? Now, if you did it, you should have had a plan. And if Mm. you didn't have a plan, then you can't blame anybody else. So I would always advise people, uh, you know, think about where you want your career to go. And, you know, Mm. by the way, uh, after, you know, doing a lot of this in my life, after actually having working with so many people, I personally don't recommend MBAs to anybody anymore. Okay. Unless, like I said, you know, your organization Mm. is sponsoring it. They definitely must have a plan for you. Always try to understand what that plan is and go for it. It's wonderful. Okay. Otherwise, try to go for recognized certification programs. I personally believe these are way more valuable. There's a lesser investment in terms of time and effort, okay? And, you know, you could have multiple uh, certifications in different disciplines where you want to excel in your career. Mm -hmm. And they're equally beneficial. They're equally great to help you grow in your career. So that's that's the way I see it. Now, of course, um, looking at your CV and LinkedIn profile, what immediately catches one eye, one's eye, Mohammed, is that you are a principal at Mercer, uh, which basically means you are a very senior person at the low, leading global HR consulting firm, right? We're also one of the very few non-Westerners in such a role, which I find fascinating. So I have two questions here. The first is, how did you get to and stay in what was obviously a demanding environment? Hmm. Uh, first, I would also add for you, I was not only a non-Westerner, I was mm. also a non-Arab. Okay? Right. Mm. Uh, because these days, a lot of these firms have actually been recruiting people with Arabic uh, language skills, which of course is, is very helpful. I'm not mm. saying it's not mm. a good idea, mm. but I'm just trying to uh, kind of emphasize on the fact that, yes, I was I was not an Arab and I was also not a Westerner mm. and I was working for Mercer. Now, what I'd say about it is, number one, you know, Mercer, an organization similar to Mercer, number one, I have seen they are amazing at spotting and nurturing talent. I mean, these are great places to work. And these are great places, honestly, to learn. Okay. I I used to, you know, I used to tell my friends, uh, you know, when I was at Mercer, that your learning curve at Mercer just basically becomes so steep. You know, you, you come across so many... Uh, you know, in terms of people, in terms of projects, in terms of different work environments. Mercer is simply an amazing uh, opportunity which I had in my career. Uh, Like, uh, you know, like I said earlier on, uh, I I honestly don't know uh, what they thought when they actually brought me on board. But I can actually tell you about what I did when I was at, you know, when I was at Mercer. 
when we started off, you know, when I joined Mercer, Mercer had just recently established their offices here in the Middle East. Uh, you know, we were, you know, we weren't very well known yet in the Middle East. But I can tell you honestly that within a few years, okay, and I, I would say roughly within like two years, we were a name which was very well recognized in the market. I mean, Mercer, yes, is a global brand. Yes, Mercer is, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a very well-known uh, organization around, around the world. But over here in the Middle East, it was still not that well-known, right? Uh, we, meaning myself and uh, and a few other colleagues, which who, who started, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, the, the the Mercer office over here, we really worked very hard, and we 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 created a name for ourselves. I mean, we were we became one of the go-to organizations when somebody wanted to do anything in HR. And I personally, because I was uh, basically uh, leading the rewards business, and that happened to be the biggest uh, business at the time for Mercer in this region. You know, I I can honestly tell you, you know, I was one of the highest earning uh, revenue earning uh, principals in the whole of the EMEA region. Okay on the on in the in the consulting mm -hmm. side uh and trust me you know there's so many amazing and interesting projects that we uh, that we did while while we were at mercer uh so yeah you know in in terms of how i stayed there yes i mean one has to be very client focused one has to be very client centric one has to uh, you know, the, I mean, uh, uh, consulting is not easy. Consulting mm -hmm. is, like I said, you know, it's a changing environment all the time. You know, there's new people, new uh, projects, you know, new things that you're doing all the time. Different people require you to come in and find solutions to issues that they would be having. And there's, you know, there isn't a one size fits all, right? So you have to work with them. You have to partner with them. You actually have to respect them to be able to deliver something which will benefit them. So yeah, you know, it was, it was a, you know, it was, it was, it was honestly an amazing journey. I, you know, to this day, I remember the time I spent at Mercer. Sorry. One other point, you know, one other point that I would also like to make, uh, you know, you could say, uh, you know, the endorsement that you get from your from your clients is when they come back to you for more and more and more. Okay, I'll I'll I'll, I'll narrate to you a very uh, you know very simple uh, uh, event. You know, when I actually decided that I wanted to move on from Mercer and and come to uh, the the role that I'm currently in, uh, they actually you know they 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 kind of you know they were very kind and they hosted a little event, a farewell event for me. And I remember the, the, our market leader, you know, for Ramia, he actually wanted to come and join that uh, that event. And he was there and he actually, you know, like looked around, asked everybody, so what is it that you have learned from Muhammad? And I was so pleased, you know, because all of my colleagues, you know, said very kind words, you know, somebody would say, oh, you know, he's great to work with and he's technically very strong. And, you know, he, mm. we have learned this and we've learned that and blah, blah. And this gentleman, he kept listening and eventually he said, well, I didn't hear one thing which I was ex expecting all of you would say. Mm. Uh, you know, eventually people gave up. You know, this is when the guesswork starts. Right? Mm. Everybody eventually kind of gave up. And this is when he said, have you ever noticed everyone who's worked with him, all of his clients come back for more? Mm. And that was amazing, you know, mm. because that's when I started thinking about it myself. And I said, yes. 
it was literally everybody we worked with would come back for more. Mm. You know, there have been, you know, there's, I don't know, you know, sometimes they might even say it to make you happy. But there have been instances where somebody said, you know, we have decided in the future we're working with nobody else except Masa, you mm. know. And we were the face of Masa, like we were the ones who were delivering whatever they needed. So, yeah, I mean, Masa was amazing. It was a great place to work. And I, I, I really think, you know, it was a great learning experience. And there's so much I would say I have actually, uh, you know, picked up while I was there. Mm. Uh, yeah, interesting. Mm. So my second question to you, Mohammed, uh, since you spend a lot of time in HR consulting in the region, is what are the three most important things that you learned about the practice of human resources in this region? Because each region has its peculiarities. Mm. You know, uh, it, it's very interesting. Uh, you know, sometimes when I was at Mercer, I'll, I'll give you a simple example. While I was at Mercer, uh, and somebody would ask, oh, okay, so what does Mercer do? And you would say, oh, we are into HR consulting. Mm. The next question was, are you, so you're doing recruitment. So I actually realized that, you know, when it comes to HR, lots of people think HR's primary role is recruitment. Mm. Okay. Yes, it's, it's part of HR's responsibilities, but HR is a lot more than that. When you come into the corporate side, you also realize that, you know, even within organizations, people tend to believe HR's primary role, number one, is personnel management. You know what it used to be like many, many years ago, uh, which is maintaining personnel records and files, helping people with letters mm -hmm. and this and that they might require in their day-to-day -day jobs when they're doing something with somebody external or whatever. In recruitment, I've realized that lots of people within organizations believe that, you know, it's the it's their job to go find somebody and then hand it over to uh, HR and say, you know, you have to help us with the onboarding process. Mm. Yes, I mean, that is part of recruitment. You know, that is part of the responsibility. But HR, honestly, is a lot, lot more than that. The other thing that I've also felt is that, you know, there's two functions which I believe uh, people usually, uh, you know, the way they look at it is anybody can do it. Mm. Number one is HR and number two is communication. I mean, these are two things which everybody you come across, you know, especially when they're into managerial roles or senior positions, they believe, you know, they're experts at it. They don't need anybody's help with it. Okay. So those, I think, are, are, are something uh, which are primary. But on top of that, you know, uh, you might actually find this even more amusing. Uh, a lot of the people, I believe, you know, when it comes to improving HR or getting more from HR, the expectation is that let's start sending out birthday wishes on 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 your on your birthday, or for example, celebrating birthdays by getting a cake into in the office, or for example, writing somebody a note on their work anniversary. These are all good things, you know. I'm not saying it's 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 not good, but that is not HR's primary role, you know. HR is your people partner. HR are, you know, that is the team which should be able to help you with anything and everything related to people, related to your people who work for you. Sometimes, you know, I'll tell you, within my own team, you know, people would use terms, for example, as in, we have to get this and we have to get that done. And then it has to come to HR for approval. And I always tell them, listen, 
HR is not the personnel police. It doesn't have to come to HR for approval. It is our role to provide them with the right advice. It is our role to provide them with the right market data. It is our role to make sure that we can understand and communicate to them what best practices are so that they would then be able to work with us to do whatever is best for them and their people. Mm. And this is something which I have actually seen, you know, not in one organization, but especially in my consulting days, I realized, you know, I've seen like literally lots of places, right? I, I wouldn't just, you know, uh, kind of uh, give a blanket statement that everybody is like this, mm. but lots and lots of places are very much like this. And I think unless that perception changes, under, unless that understanding of HR changes, to actually benefit from the expertise of your HR team obviously becomes very limited, right? Mm -hmm. So that is what I have, uh, you know, that is what my experience has been, you know, about the, you know, about the role or the expectations from HR in this region. I would further add, you know, for example, I'll, I'll give you a simple example, you know. For example, somebody comes and says, hey, you know, we need to make a promotion for a person X, Y, Z, someone, right? And you would be like, oh, okay, great. I mean, yes, you know, so this is the policy. And they would be like, you know, what policy? I need to do this. Mm. It's like, yeah, but there's policies, you know. We have to have consistency across the organization. So policies people don't like. And it's very unfortunate, you know, because if we can actually follow the rules, we can actually follow the policies, it ensures that there will be consistency in our approaches so that everybody will be given equal opportunity so that everybody will be recognized for whatever they're doing right and you know you you could have more consistency the other thing which i've also realized is that you know for example i'll i'll talk about finance you know i mean you you finance yourself and you might have seen you know for example somebody wants to uh, go for a salary increment and you know i've had people coming to me and saying oh you know i want to increase this person's salary by 2000 dirhams Okay. And you're like, okay, great. Why 2000 dirhams? Well, I think that's appropriate. But based on what do you think it's appropriate? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the one who actually helped, you know, participate in the market survey. So I have that data. Why don't you sit down with me and discuss with me? And I'll tell you what the market looks like. I'm the one who has the internal, uh, you know, internal data for the organization. And we usually refer to it as the ILM, you know, the internal labor market, right? And I would be like, you know, let's sit down, let's look at it and let's do something which is fair, right? So, for example, in the absence of any, any uh, you know, fixed policy on, you know, you can do this and you can do that, which honestly speaking, I'm not a very great fan of, you know, because yes, you know, in the old days, uh, you might recall, you know, lots of different organizations used to have these step structures, right? Mm. So, you know, for example, every year you would go from step A to step B and then to step three and then to step four or whatever. And every step was worth, say, like 3% or 5% of your, uh, you know, for example, uh, your, your, your reward structure. Now, that I am not very fond of because the market does not shift based on your steps, right? Mm. So you have to always be aligned with whatever your reward strategy, for example, is in terms of the market. You should be able to make sure that you can reward people according, number one, to their performance, number two, to their skill set, and number three, of course, according to the market, right? And these are things which, unfortunately, you do not see in lots of organizations. And this is why, you know, the best you can make 
you know, for example, uh, uh, from your HR people is to actually respect what they have and actually to work with them. They are your business partners. You know, they are in it together. If you do well, for example, in sales or in marketing or somewhere else, everybody will do well, right? Mm -hmm. So it is in HR's interest also to work with them, to actually support them, to understand their requirements, to understand their needs. So it's it's always a two-way street. But the general perception in the region, because uh, you know that's that's what you uh, what you ask, the general perception about HR it just revolves around you know the recruitment function, the onboarding function, for example, or the personnel management function. It's very unfortunate, but that's that's what I saw. Mm. A very relevant, interesting question to me because 15 years ago, when I was a finance director, that was when I first heard the term strategic HR. And mm. someone who was a qualified, experienced HR professional explained to me that you know, uh, visa and medical and uh, recruitment and onboarding is not what HR should be primarily focused on. Exactly. So ever since then, I've been very fascinated by why HR focuses on that. But now I understand mm. that that is largely due to the composition of the workforce in the region, which you and I talked mm. about some time ago. But mm. nevertheless, uh, I think it is changing, uh, no. hopefully, for the better. Mm. You know, I'll I'll add to that, Vinod. For example, mm -hmm. when you talk about strategic HR, right? You see, and one of the reasons why HR HR should be there when you are actually developing your strategy. Say, for example, you know, uh, your organization or any organization. I mean, let's take let's take any organization. Say, for example, you are selling say ten thousand units of something called X, right? You're expecting that in, say, for example, in five years' time, you will be selling 50,000 units. Mm. 50,000 units means you will probably need more people. You will probably need more managers. You will probably need more tools. You will probably, you know, uh, you know, there's so many other things that you might need in order to achieve that objective. And in order to do that, if you don't actually have HR around with you, how are you going to ensure that mm. the right number of people will be there, the right number of skill sets will be there, the right number, you know, of, for example, you know, uh, you know, tools would be available so that people will be able to perform and get to where you want the organization to go. Sometimes organizations are diversifying, you know, mm. so for example, you were in something called X, now you're going to also start doing Y which is a completely different, uh, you know, uh, you know, say, for example, it's a, it's, it's a different industry. How are you going to get ready for it? I mean, do you want to go every time uh, and, you know, and get external assistance for everything you're going to do? Why not think strategically? Why mm. not start building today where you're going to be tomorrow, right? And this is why the role of HR, because, you know, end of the day, whatever we do, our people definitely become or, or, or always are our biggest assets. You know, the right people at the right place with the right skill sets, with the right attitude, that is what matters. You know, for example, uh, in, in terms of our organization, we are supposed to be one of the largest distributors of, uh, you know, of an automotive brand globally, mm -hmm. right? When people come into our showrooms, if we have happy people there, if we have people who are motivated, if we, you know, if they have all the right skill sets, mm. naturally it helps them to sell more. Naturally it helps them to, you know, connect more with our, you know, with our clients. And if we don't do that, you know, the product mm. might still sell, 
but it won't probably achieve the potential it has, right? So people are so important to any organization. And if HR can actually, uh, you know, if HR is actually given the right opportunities to support your strategic initiatives, that is what strategic HR is all about. You hopefully will be able to do that for much less. Hmm. I'll, I'll, you know, if I if I add another example to that, you know, that that point around recruitment, you know, you can easily go to a recruitment firm, and they will charge you an arm and a leg, uh, you know, for 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 your recruitment. If you build that within your organization, mm. imagine how much you can actually save. Because when your HR is looking for people, they understand the culture of the organization better than your external support, right? They will bring you not people with the right skill sets and behavior. They'll also try to focus on, you know, trying to build, uh, bring people who would also fit into your culture, right? I mean, nobody usually, I mean, very unfortunate, but generally people don't even think about a bad hire. Mm. You know, and, you know, sometimes, you know, you have all these analytics in place, like, you know, somebody came in and stayed with the organization for less than six months and then went away. Has anybody ever thought about the impact this person might have had? Mm. Right. I mean, not only do people go away, but there's also always a chance that they will take others away with them. Okay. So, you know, these are these are very, very strategically important questions to understand and to address. And if you don't do that, I mean, you know, there's there's sometimes I see lots of fancy stuff happening, you know, oh, let's do this and let's do that and let's do the survey and let's do something else. End of the day, how will your organization benefit from it? Unless and until that is clear, you know, fancy stuff doesn't get you anywhere. Interesting discussion on strategic HR. Uh, <laughs> maybe you should form part of an article that probably you should write or a blog. Yeah, I'll be happy yeah, to. Yeah. My, my next question is about this interesting career transition you made. You switched from consulting in Mercer to industry uh, where you are right now as chief human resource officer of one of the largest private businesses in, 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 the, in the Middle East. How easy or tough was that transition? Uh, and what are the lessons there for people who want to change from consulting in any field, not just HR? to the industry side? Hmm. Well, you know, for me, it was interesting because I came from industry to consulting mm. and then from consulting back to industry. Okay. So uh, I could probably, I could say it was not that difficult for me personally. Okay. Because I'd already worked in industry. The The switch to consulting actually was the, was the, was the tricky one, right? Because, and I'm, I'm told, I mean, obviously that is after the fact, but I'm told when I was being considered for the role, one of the biggest questions they had in their minds was, this guy has never been into consulting before, mm. right? Mm. How will he be able to cope? Mm. Uh, and when I was told this, I was told when I was also being told that I was one of the most successful in terms of, uh, you know, what we have achieved, mm. uh, you know, uh, probably like a year or two years after I was at Marsa. Uh, so going back into industry was not that big a challenge for me, but I can definitely talk about it, right? Mm. Because the thing to understand is the consulting world is very different from industry. You know, when you're in consulting, you know, your your focus is usually not very long term. You know, your projects, I mean, what mm. is the length of a project? Maybe 
you know, it could start off from maybe being a three days project to maybe a year long project or maybe a year and a half long project, but eventually it finishes, right? Eventually you hand it over to somebody else and then you move on, right? So consulting is usually very short term focus compared to industry, right? Uh, and, and especially also compared to what you're doing in terms of your work and your career. So that is one. The other is consulting is very much advisory, okay? So, you know, for example, you invite me to come and help you to find a solution for something or to create something or to build something. So I'll come in, most probably start off with some sort of a diagnostic, try to understand what your requirements are, help you to find a solution, uh, create or build for you whatever is needed, maybe train your people a little bit on it and then move on because then somebody else is going to take care of it, right? On the other hand, in industry, it's very different, right? Mm -hmm. Over here, you are, you know, you whatever you get into, you have to stay with it, right? A decision you make today might actually be very relevant a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, right? So you keep on building upon whatever you've actually started. So that, of course, means uh, a very different focus. Mm -hmm. The other thing that you will also find, you know, in terms of differences between consulting and between the, the you know, NHR function in industry or any other, you know, department or function within industry is, you know, in the, in the, in the consulting world, your team might actually remain the same. Although, you know, consulting also tends to have comparatively higher uh, turnover rates, you know, because people would come in, stay there and move on to somewhere else. Mm. Uh, but generally, you know, uh, the, the people that you meet in terms of the projects you do, in terms of the work you do, would be sh very short-term engagements, right? Mm. So you would say, for example, like I said, you know, the, the length of a project, that's usually the length of how long you work with people, right? Mm -hmm. So you're just to your you know, adjust to the needs of whoever you're working with, you adapt to whatever is expected of you to be able to deliver and provide to them whatever is whatever their, their, their expectations are. In industry, when you're working for a function or a department, you basically see the same people every day, True. right? And that, of course, means you adapt to, to, to the requirements of that culture, and then you basically stay with it. You stick with it, right? If you don't like something about it, you try to work on it and improve it. If there's good things about it, you just basically adopt it and you and you and you and you build upon it, right? So there is a you know there's a fundamental difference, you know, in in terms of what you do when you're a consultant versus what you do when you are in a in a regular uh, mm -hmm. department, uh, uh, you know, in in any in any organization. Mm -hmm. So that is that is something to keep in mind when you're actually planning to do. Uh, a shift, you know, mm. and it could be either way, you know, you're going from uh, industry to consulting, or you're going from consulting to, to industry, one has to understand that these are, you know, these are some of the fundamental differences, and you have to be prepared for it, you have to make sure that you can live up to expectations, uh, especially in that way. Mm. The other thing, you know, yeah, you, you no, please go ahead, please go ahead. The, the other things that I was also, uh, you know, uh, going to add to what I've explained is uh, expectations and objectives are also always very different, you know, when mm. you're in industry versus when you're in consulting, you know, because, uh, you know, when you're in consulting, your primary objective is to make sure that you can do something which your client will benefit from, 
mm. right? You want to do the best for whatever, uh, you know, for them, right? You will, you know, you will work long hours, you will go the extra mile, you'll do whatever is needed to make sure they can achieve what they engaged you for, right? Uh, when you're, you know, in industry, uh, you know, things are a bit different because now your focus usually is your internal clients. And majority of the time, since you work with them, you know, if you've been there long enough, since you work with them all the time, you are pretty aware of, of, of the culture. You're pretty aware of the expectations, right? Mm. Whereas, you know, in consulting, it's usually, you know, it's it's somebody new all the time, right? So you, you have to make an extra effort because, you know, cultures are different, organizational cultures are different, and as a result, expectations are different, okay? Similarly, also talk about work pressure, right? Mm -hmm. uh, consulting deadlines are usually very, very, you know, they're, they're very strict. And, and, you know, for example, I used to tell my friends, uh, you know, especially when I was uh, at Mercer, you know, based out of Dubai, you know, having a majority of our clients, uh, you know, all over the GCC region. Mm. If you take a flight from here to Bahrain, for example, it's only a 50 minutes flight, but it is international travel, right? Mm. So you have to go through all of those, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the steps of, uh, you know, for international travel, you know, you go through immigration and you go through security checks and you have to wait in airport queues and you have to, <clears throat> where it in airport lounges and blah blah which is which is stressful right mm. i remember once uh you know uh getting up getting onto a flight probably like 5 or 5 30 in the morning from dubai going to muscat spending the whole day in muscat taking a flight from there at nine o'clock in the evening flying to uh, riyadh in saudi arabia arriving in riyadh you know sometime after midnight you know going to the hotel probably reaching there, say, like two o'clock in the morning, you know, and then getting ready and be ready, seven o'clock breakfast, 7.30, you leave for the client, eight o'clock, you are at the client site. Imagine, you know, how stressful that is. But also understand that your client doesn't know what you just mm. went through. Mm. He is paying for it. He expects you to be sharp and ready and ready to deliver, right? And, and, you know, that's an obligation. I mean, you, you, you have to make sure you're at your best behavior. You are, you know, you, 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 you will deliver according to their expectations. So that kind of pressure also takes a lot of toll, you know, in terms of your health, in terms of, uh, you know, your work-life balance and all. Mm. Compare that with a regular job where I come at nine o'clock in the, uh, you know, in the morning, leave at five in the evening. Sometimes maybe I'm working late. I'm going seven in the evening. I mean, it's just two extra hours, mm. right? So, you know, that, that of course, makes a big difference in terms of your work-life balance, in terms of, you know, and, and, and that's why I say consulting takes its toll, you know. Uh, mm. If you are client-centric, if you if you want to deliver upon expectations, you really have to be uh, very disciplined, you know, because otherwise then, you know, you, you, you will start getting, uh, you know, you'll start getting affected. Yeah. So for somebody who plans to go into consulting, this might be something to keep in mind. On top of that, I think uh, there's also a very different mindset, you know, when it comes to industry versus consulting. Okay, mm. the reason I say is, for example, you know, you're going to a regular job. You know, the the people around you are all well known to you. You know, say for example, today I come to work and you know for some reason or the other I'm not feeling very well. 
I'll talk to my 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 colleagues and say, hey, listen, you know, can we do this tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. will be fine, right? Let's do mm-hmm. it tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like that in consulting, right? I mean, you could ask your client, and most of the times, I think they are very gracious, they are very kind, but again, you know, they have deadlines to meet, and you have to find ways on on ensuring that those deadlines are met, right? Mm-hmm. So again, you know, different mindset, different kinds of pressure, different kinds of objective, different kinds of expectations. And that's why I say consulting and industry is just two different yeah. worlds. And one has to be, uh, and, and you know, it, unless you have it in you, uh, you know, consulting can, can, can be quite a tough job. Now, I, I turn to a favorite topic of mine, which is um, upskilling and leadership specifically. Mm. You have worked with many leaders, both in your previous role in consulting, where you obviously have blazed with leaders within Mercer as well as leaders in your client space. And now, of course, as CHR of a large local group, you, you're dealing with leaders all the time uh, across different time zones, as you explained to me. Hmm. Now, I have seen and you have seen many managers who stay at manager level and never proceed to the next level of leadership. Finance managers who never become finance directors, HR managers who never become CHROs, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. What do you think are the three things that prevent managers from stepping up to leadership? Mm. Very interesting. Mm. You know, usually, uh, and there's a very interesting saying around that. So you actually grow or stay with an organization for as long as your skill sets are important. Mm. Okay. And if you know that your skill sets are important, usually, you know, you actually then get the courage to step up. A lot of the times I've seen, you know, lots of times, you know, people, for example, would not step up, uh, you know, uh, in in terms of uh, uh, in in terms of stepping up to leadership or in terms of stepping up within their careers and going into leadership positions. And usually, I say, you know, the the one of the primary reasons is courage. Mm. determination and knowledge and when mm. i talk about knowledge i mean skills and the right competencies mm. because if you have them there's no stopping you right you know interestingly i'll i'll share with you uh in in terms of my own career right so like i said you know i've moved from uh from corporate gone into consulting and then gone back into corporate mm. you know i've actually I could say, you know, my my experience has been that unless you actually want to, unless you take risk, let me put it this way, okay? Mm. Unless you're willing to take risk, you know, unless you're willing to actually go into a different environment, which may not be in your comfort zone, right? The probability of succeeding or growing obviously becomes much less, Mm. okay? Mm. So... A lot of the times, you know, for example, I've seen, you know, uh, people going into their comfort zone and, for example, avoiding any form of conflict. Mm. Now, the thing is, you know, conflict is is not always bad, okay? Because as long as you can you can make sure that any form of conflict or any form of disagreement, okay, is is addressed objectively, and you you and you have good reasons to actually get into that, uh, you know. I mean, there's, there's no stopping you, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
on top of that, you know, sometimes, you know, people would not step up to management or sometimes people would not do something because they already know their own weaknesses. Okay. Mm. And as a result of that, you know, they just want to avoid any form of exposure. You know, things are going, let it go. Why do anything? You know, it's, it's very unfortunate, huh? but mm. it does mm. happen a lot of the times. Similarly, for example, you know, in, in terms of working with senior managers or, or, or your supervisors or someone, they just don't, you know, they don't feel like, for example, up, upsetting somebody or getting into someone's bad books or whatever, right? So that, again, stops people, you know, from doing doing things that would otherwise be, be very, very necessary, right? Mm. So again, mm. I think this is another area which stops people from actually doing the right things at the right time. And end of the day, unless you have the right skill sets, unless you actually have the confidence to step up and do something, I mean, it, it doesn't really work. And can you stop the recording here, Vinod? Yeah. Now let's turn to your, your field, uh, which is uh, HR, right? And you have, you have spent a lot of time there. Uh, I have a set of two questions here. First question would be, tell me three ways in which HR has changed in the last decade, specifically in this region, the Middle East. Hmm. Okay, you know, the, the, the Middle East region is actually a very exciting place to be in. I mean, and, and especially if I can, if I can talk, uh, talk about Dubai, for example, you know, over here, uh, you know, people are always trying out new things. People are always wanting to do something better than before. People are always trying to change and evolve. Mm. And HR, uh, you know, over here in this region has 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 definitely gone through a very interesting evolution process, if I can call it, right? Mm. Mm. Uh, I do see a lot of, you can say, uh, evolution in terms of changing from pure personnel management Mm. more into HR, you know, more into, you know, uh, HR management, right? Are we there? Like I, you know, mentioned earlier on, mm. you know, the perceptions of, 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 of HR are still not very clear, okay? But it has evolved, you know, it, it you know, uh, from, from total bookkeeping and record keeping, it has actually changed, huh? Uh, you know, a, a lot of functions have come into being. Uh, training and development, for example, leadership, for example, you know, career development, for example. You 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 see these, you know, with within HR departments in this region now, right? Mm -hmm. So that that you know that is a very interesting and a good and a positive change, right? Mm -hmm. On top of that, you know. Uh, this this region is is also uh, you know I would say it's one of the front runners when it comes to digital right they they are so fond of 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 trying to like I said adopt new technologies and you know the same has happened to HR a lot of HR now has become very digital right now uh, and and I always say there's a big difference between digitization and digitalization right mm -hmm. so. When, when we talk about digitalization, we are talking about a complete change of mindset. You know, your processes should change, your systems should change, the mm. way you think should change, the way you take decisions should change. Compared with that, digitization is when you actually move on from paper to something which is more electronic, right? Mm. So I would say we are, we are still more on the digitization part, okay? Uh, digitalization will will still take its time you know change of change of the way we think and the way we process and the way we take decisions 
is still, uh, you know, it's, it's still going through the evolution process. But HR in general has become quite digital mm. uh, with, with lots of organizations. Mm. The other thing which I've also seen, which is, again, a very positive change, is that, you know, there's a lot of analytics you know, uh, you know, lots of companies today, for example, you know, would have HR dashboards, you know, they, they, they actually want to look at their analytics, for example, you know, people would want to know, so, you know, for example, what is the, uh, say, for example, what is the ratio of males versus females, you know, for mm. example, what is the different age groups I have, what are my turn, turnover ratios like, you know, so there, there is a lot of analytics which has started happening in HR, which mm. is, again, something good because it helps management in taking the right decisions. Mm. So this is something which I've seen happening a lot in mm. lots of companies in this region, and it's getting better and better by the day. Talking about HR again in the region, what are the three key changes you see happening over the next decade, Mohammed? Okay, now that's a very interesting question, you know, because, you know, evolution is happening all over us, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the requirements of the, of the people are changing, organizations are changing, the way we used to work is changing. I mean, just think about it, you know, before the, before the pandemic, you know, how many of us would actually work from home? Mm. You know, everybody would come to work every day, right? Uh, you know, during the pandemic, usually everybody was working from home. So, like I said, you know, the needs of the workforce are changing and people are actually adapting to the work from home model or some sort of a hybrid model. Uh, the expectations of the workforce are changing, right? Mm. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the millennials a lot, for example, these days and the difference between them and Gen X and Gen Z and all of these people. And it's actually very true. Huh? The expectations, you know, the environment around them is so different. Uh, you know, everything is becoming so digital, for example. Now, you're so much more aware of, you know, for example, what's going on in your office, sitting in a coffee shop somewhere compared to, uh, you know, even just maybe five years ago, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, go back to the time before the Blackberries and all of these came into being, you know. A mobile phone was was an amazing way to be able to keep connected. You know, you're, you're coming to work, somebody gives you a call, you can answer the phone and say, hey, I'm on my way, right? Mm -hmm. Now you don't have to do that. You know, right. sitting in your car, you, you can just, you know, switch on uh, your mobile phone and, you know, for example, have a, have a meeting even if you have to, right? I mean, just park on the side of the road, do whatever you have to do to, and then drive off, uh, drive and come to work if you have to. So the, the whole landscape is completely changing. You know, old practices now are being replaced by a very, very digital workforce. Mm. So that, I think, is something which is also going to change the HR model. Mm. And, you know, I've been actually, uh, you know, I've been actually attending lots of different forums and events and places where we, 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 we've been speaking about how do you manage a digital workforce? You know, how do you actually work, uh, manage your remote workers, for example? Huh? It's a, it's, it's, it's great, you know, to mm. be able to, you know, stay at home and work, right? But then, uh, you know, there is, there is, uh, you know, just like there's some pros and cons uh, for everything, it is exactly the same when it comes to remote workers, right? Mm. How do you manage your remote workers? You know, how do you keep up to expectations of your remote workers? So again, you know, the, the whole concept of HR, I expect, mm. is going to change. You know, you are going to actually 
you know, start working on policies and ways to ensure that you can actually live up to the expectations of a completely different workforce. Mm. So that I think is going to be the, the, the most important part of it. Mm. The other one, and something we, we, we touched upon, uh, you know, when we were talking about what I have seen in terms of the evolution of HR in the last 10, 15, 20 years, right? Mm, mm. The next step is, I, I think, the next step is very much going to be digitalization. You know, mm. so it's not just going to be less paper. It's going to be completely different ways of working, you know? And I'll give you a simple example. You know, some time ago, we were actually thinking of, of some digital stuff that we wanted to do. And, uh, you know, we were presented a workflow, Right. So I was going through this workflow and I was asking the guys and I said, hey, but, you know, we are doing everything that we used to do. So how does that change work? You know, how does that make sure that decision making will be quicker? How does that make sure that, you know, we'll be better informed when we take a decision? You know, how can we actually make sure that the bottlenecks we know will actually get out of the way, right? And this, I believe, is going to be, you know, it's it's going to be the next big thing. You know, how can you make sure that you make all the necessary changes so that decisions are made, you know, with you being better informed, mm. you know, so that bottlenecks, you know, hopefully through digitalization will actually be removed. You know, for example, somebody's traveling, doesn't matter. You know, a decision can still be made. You know, somebody is out of the office, doesn't matter. He can still come and actually join a discussion give his inputs and insights so that everybody else is aware of, you know, for example, what this person's inputs are, and you are able to do things much faster and able to do things in a much more informed way. So this, I think, is going to be some of the fundamental changes which are going to happen. Mm. On the other hand, I also believe, you know, that the, the conventional HR will probably become obsolete over time. Okay, mm -hmm. because and I and I keep preaching this to my own, you know, to my own team, to people I work with, to people I discuss with, that you know the 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 you know the the conventional way of you know everything you know being done on paper on forms and this and that and goes all the way to HR and then somebody from HR checks it and all of that. I think that actually slows down the process, right? Mm -hmm. My belief is that, you know, HR should be and will eventually become the responsibility of whatever functional head is actually re responsible for the people. HR will adopt a very, very business partner role. HR will be there to support, yes, to advise, yes, but HR will eventually very much change in, 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 in what it does. Uh, maybe one day you might may not even need an HR function as such, okay? Mm. Because AI will eventually solve a lot of your problems, a lot of the, you know, stuff that otherwise today HR might be doing. Uh, I'm not saying HR will completely vanish, but it will probably come back in a different form, in a different way, right? Mm. Uh, with, a, with the support of a lot of RPA and a lot of support from AI. And that will probably make things look uh, and, and, and feel completely different from what they have been the way, for example, you and I would have seen when we started working, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, this is this is how I, you know, this is how I this is how I see uh, you know HR evolving and organizations in general evolving. You know, the other day I was actually talking to somebody, and these guys have actually done a lot of research. For example, mm. uh, in uh, and they're into uh, the the metaverse space. Okay, mm. interesting, huh? You 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 know you you put on your your fancy goggles, and then 
you know you can you can you know you can sit around uh, you can you can actually have your discussions or whatever as if you are sitting across the table mm. and you know within our organization about 10 12 years ago we 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 actually had something we called our teleconference rooms you know so we would be sitting on this side of the table and somebody else would be sitting somewhere else on the other side of the table and you're having mm. your discussions just like you're in the same room mm. a lot has changing and i think a lot will change uh, you know this the the digital revolution if i can call it has mm-hmm. completely changed the way we work and it will you know it will have a big impact in terms of how hr is going to uh, perform its services and its support and its partnering uh, to the people that it has to work with mm. fascinating now diversity equity and inclusion so dei right it's a hot mm. and controversial topic nowadays for obvious reasons mm. and and i wanted to talk to hear your views on two topics one was what's been your personal experience of the effect of diversity equity and inclusion on important aspects like corporate team culture employee engagement and productivity in this region mm. uh interesting huh? mm. you know diversity is something which i would say to the middle east you know especially this part of the world where you and i live mm. you know this this place is 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 a case study when it comes to diversity right mm. i mean how many companies for example have you come across where you wouldn't find maybe like 10 15 20 nationalities working together right people coming from all sorts of different places different cultures different languages different beliefs different customs right so the middle east in general and especially over here in dubai i would say you know this place is the most diverse that i i have ever actually come across right mm. i've i've traveled to so many other uh, places around the world especially in my in my in my consulting days you know we i did lots of projects outside of the middle east but i haven't seen the kind of diversity that that you see here okay mm-hmm. i mean within the same department say for example there is 10 people working there and maybe you might see 10 different nationalities okay so diversity is 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 very rich when it comes to uh to dubai and 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 the middle east and the gcc especially okay mm-hmm. uh in terms of equity however you know mm-hmm. things are very interesting okay mm-hmm. uh again you know i i wouldn't say it is right or wrong but it's very interesting for sure okay uh i can share with you for example an organization uh i worked with on some projects and stuff where for example they had five different payrolls and these payrolls were very much uh nationality oriented payrolls mm-hmm. okay so if you were coming from north america for example you would be on a different payroll if you were coming from the indian subcontinent you would be on a different payroll if you were coming from somewhere in the far east you would be on a different payroll you know so that by itself you know was was you know it, it, to me it was kind of like but why mm. right mm. uh and i'm sure there was good reasons to it as well it's not like it was wrong mm. but it was part of the evolution process and when i shared this with somebody and i said well you know i came across this and i was very surprised and he said well don't be because this person was working on a project with somebody else who, and they had 13 payrolls mm. okay so imagine right 
now I think things have changed a lot, okay, especially over here, uh, you know, and, you know, I, I've been out of consulting for, for many years, so I haven't really seen it. Uh, but I do talk to friends who, who, who are working, you know, as consultants and with different mm. organizations. I think now uh, it, it's completely different. Okay. So now you, you will hardly come across anybody where there will be different payrolls, right? So, you know, the concept of pay for the job, pay for the skill set, pay for the person, uh, you know, is, is, is very much, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, something which is very much uh, practiced. Okay. But again, like I said, you know, it's it's all an evolution process, you know, slowly and gradually, you know, you, you, uh, you know, things are getting uh, better and better. Mm-hmm. I'll give you another example. You know, in the course of my career, one of the jobs I had was in the healthcare sector, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I had this question uh, where, you know, I was working for this uh, huge complex where we would do, for example, nursing recruitment, mm-hmm. right? So I asked the doctors one day, I said, you know, it doesn't feel, you know, it, it feels kind of odd, you know, why somebody from North America would get X amount and, for example, somebody doing the same job uh, coming from the Far East would get X minus 50%, you know, it doesn't make sense. Hmm. And they said, well, you know, it's interesting because the skill set which the guys from the U.S. bring is very different from the skill set which the guys from the Far East would bring. Hmm. So this payroll differences was a reflection actually of skill set mm. it was just i would say i mean that, that's that's a personal opinion i would say it was just misrepresented in terms of having different payrolls mm. right mm. i mean when when we talk about reward for example you know you can build a scale and somebody coming from the far east you could keep them at a slightly lower end of the scale because their skill set is not up to the mark compared to somebody who comes from europe or, or, or north america right it would just send a message of, you know, we are equal employment. <laughs> mm, you know, mm. we, we, we give, uh, you know, we recognize people for their skills, which actually was the case, mm. right? So, you know, it's also around communication. It's also around, uh, you know, how these things are perceived. Uh, but in general, I would say, you know, in terms of diversity, in terms of equity, this region, uh, you know, is is doing amazingly well. Mm. Uh, you also spoke about inclusion. Mm. Now, you know, inclusion again. You know, it's it's a, you know, when you look around, you know, when you when you look at all of these different people working in different organizations, I'm sure you would have witnessed. You know, it it creates lots of tribes within organizations or you know within the community, right? Mm. So you know, for example, you know, in a certain say in, in company X, you would have people working, you know, and they're from one nationality compared to, you know, and there would be another nationality and there would be another nationality. It is very natural that you feel a lot more comfortable working with people from your own, right? Mm -hmm. Who speak the same language, who understand your culture, who know what you're doing, blah, blah. That naturally binds them together, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, yes. So at times you could say inclusion might be a challenge, uh, but not necessarily. Organizational culture plays a big role, okay? Mm, mm. And, you know, in positive culture, in positive organizational cultures, I think they they, they get over it. You know, systems and policies and protocols, uh, you know, have been put into place so that everybody is given the opportunity to actually contribute and make, uh, you know, and, and, and basically uh, perform at their best. So, yeah, you know, it's a very interesting question. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and like you said, you know, it's a very hot topic globally, right? Uh, if I could, you know, for example, uh, uh, share with you, okay, uh, you know, my experience also in terms of some of the challenges, okay, mm-hmm. that will probably help also to 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 answer this question better. Uh, you know, sometimes you 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 would come across, for example, you know, people in you know somebody in a meeting would say, oh, you know, we should we should have more uh, uh, more inclusion or more diversity in terms of gender, okay? Mm-hmm. Which is you know, which is which is great, yes, you know, because we should. But then I think the big question comes in terms of availability, mm-hmm. okay? What kind of talent is available, right? Now, for example, when you look at Europe or North America. Uh, you know, the availability of the female workforce, for example, makes it much easier to bring those people on board, right? Mm-hmm. Well, compare that with over here in the Middle East, you may not even have as many numbers available. So what do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, do you just want to do this to tick a box? I would never recommend that, you know. And, you know, as and when there is availability of talent, yes, you should definitely focus on trying to get uh, you know, as much equality, as much diversity as possible. Mm. And if it is not available, then you are actually bound by, by you know, by, by you know, by the lack of availability by itself, right? Mm. So again, you know, this is something which I would say, you know, over here, I, I find this place to be a very, uh, you know, a very rich place to be in terms of diversity, in, in you know, in terms of equity, in terms of inclusion, inclusion, sorry. Uh, and on top of that, I'm sure you'll understand and agree uh, that, you know, customs, culture, you know, exposure to other customs, exposure to other, uh, you know, uh, beliefs and theories, that also plays a big role. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you know, I'll, 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 I'll go back to, you know, the, especially over here in Dubai, we see we are doing pretty well in, in all of these areas. So, uh, of course, uh, there's a point every interview where we need to wrap up and uh, there's been an interesting one. And towards the end, I always like to ask my guests, uh, what has been the, what is their top tips? And I'm going to ask you the same question, Mohammed, based on your experience, you know, in, in corporate, in consulting, in, uh, you know, in advising and as well as leading people, what are the three top career tips you would give a senior executive who is, either in leadership or aspiring to leadership? Hmm. Very interesting. Thank you, Vinod. Mm. Uh, you know, I, w- I would actually start by quoting for you my school motto, you know, the motto of the school that I went to. And it was perseverance, command, success. Mm. And it's, it's very interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. you have to work hard and you have to be consistent. So for anybody, you know, aspiring for anything in life, actually, not just a leadership role or not just to grow in their careers, I think what is most important is that we have to set realistic goals Mm. and we have to remain consistent. Mm. And, you know, it's so important. Uh, You know, I was reading about a friend the other day and, you know, how, for example, uh, disciplined he was in life. And uh, he mentioned that, for example, he reads two hours every day. You know, one of the most important things, you know, uh, which I have come across is, you know, people who read, people who actually spend some time on their self-development, 
end up actually being the most knowledgeable. Mm. And the ones who are most knowledgeable usually tend to grow faster, you know, mm. usually tend to go into positions which are, you know, uh, more responsibility in terms of their positions, right? So I think one of the most important things in life is to, re, you know, is to have realistic goals and also to remain consistent and be very disciplined. So yeah. that is number one. Mm. On top of that, you see, the thing is, I can keep on growing myself. But, you know, as I'm sure you would have heard and read, you know, we, all of us, we, at the beginning of our careers, we start off when we are dependent and we, we need help from, from others, right? And then we learn and we become better at what we do. And that is when we become independent, you know, mm -hmm. so I can do whatever I have to do. I don't need anybody's help anymore. We then transition into the phase where we become interdependent. So what I do affects others, right? At the same time, I have to get things done through others, mm. right? You know, I, I sometimes come across people and, you know, I, you know, for example, you know, I would say, hey, but, you know, uh, you know, I have to get A and B and C done. And why is it taking so long? And you would hear this person saying, I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do that, right? Mm. I'm like, yeah, but why don't you delegate it to somebody and get it done? Mm. Or because, you know, they won't do it right and I would have to redo it myself. Mm. The thing is, you have to allow them the, the, you know, the opportunity to make a mistake. It's okay. You know, there's no harm making a mistake. Our jobs as leaders is to make sure that others can grow. Our jobs as leaders is to make sure that we can help other people do what we may have done many years ago, right? Mm. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a process where you have to help others grow. You have to delegate to them. You have to work through them. You can't do everything by yourself, mm. you know? Mm. Just because you can do a, a few things doesn't really mean that you can do everything in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. And my opinion may not always be the best opinion, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to listen to others. I have to work through them. I have to work with them and I have to help them grow in their careers. So this is something else which I think we all as leaders and managers or whatever have to keep in mind. The worst part is, what I have seen a lot of the times is leaders, you know, tend, and, and I've seen this a lot over here, leaders tend not to make way for other people. Mm. You know, it's it's always, like I said, you know, it's always helpful to let them grow, but it's also very helpful, okay, to make way for others to grow, right? Mm. So mm. it's not like everybody has to keep on, you know, you have to be at the top and, and basically, you know, uh, you know, stop others from growing, right? So again, you know, when it is your time to finish and go home, you should do that, right? You know, I've, I've actually seen people, uh, you know, especially over here, uh, you know, you're, you're 65 years old and you still want to keep on working. It's like, come on, you know, you've <laughs> done your bit, you've played your innings. Let somebody else come onto the pitch now, you know, let them also play their innings. Right. Don't block them from growth. Don't mm. block them from opportunity. You know, so that again is something which I, you know, which I always tend to tell people that, you know, play your innings, play it well, okay, do your best while you're there, you know, again, you know, uh, coming from a country where we're very fond of cricket, you know, so I can always uh, relate to it, you know, so when you go on the pitch, you know, do your best, you know, do, and circumstances will be different for different people, right, 
you know, for example, you know, you may score less than somebody else, but it doesn't mm. matter. You did your best, right? And when your when your turn is over, give it or you know, pass on the baton to the next one and then to the next one, because this is all part of life. So again, to all leaders, to all those aspiring for these, uh, you know, positions of leadership, I would say, you know, number one, be realistic, remain consistent, be disciplined, you know, try to grow in whatever you're doing. Mm. Understand that it's everybody's, uh, you know, it's everybody's right to be given opportunities, you know, grow other people. Their growth is your growth. And when it is time to go, understand that it is time to go, you know, move aside and let somebody else play. And that's a brilliant way to end this fascinating discussion, Mohammed. Uh, it's, it's not often that I have um, HR professionals on this interview, because given my background and connections, most of my guests tend to come from the finance or investing background. So I think it is more interesting and insightful when I have someone with a very different background that brings his unique perspective, both as an individual and also from industry background as well. And I hope my listeners uh, you know, would benefit and, and would find it's also similarly interesting and insightful, especially the part about uh, leadership and upskilling and, and uh, things like you know, knowing when to move on and helping others grow, which uh, I think a lot of leaders need to learn, especially in this region. So very valid points, Mohammed. Uh, thank you for taking the time to prepare for this podcast and for spending this time with me, which I know is a late Friday evening, <laughs> sitting sitting yeah. in your office. Uh, so mm -hmm. I I, uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, thank you once again for uh, sharing your insights and, uh, and wish you the best in your future endeavors. Thank you so much, Binod. And, you know, knowing me, you know that we could have probably spoken for another few hours if we had to, because, you know, uh, there's so many stories to tell and there's so many, you know, uh, so many things that I could, uh, that I, I would be so happy to share. But again, I thank you for the opportunity uh, to have this discussion and to all your viewers, if there's anything that I can be of any assistance or any support to anybody, you're always welcome to reach out. Uh, I'm always more than happy, uh, you know, uh, to help and support people like i said you know this is this is this is how i see uh, uh you know uh, things to be in terms of you know sharing in terms of helping in terms of assisting others is it, it's always a pleasure and you know by sharing you know your share never goes down you know it, it just right. keeps on getting better and bigger so thank you so much Bino. This is brought to you by the real finance mentor thank you so much for listening i really hope you found it insightful and inspirational if you did enjoy this episode, please drop us a review and spread the word. And be sure to check out more exclusive content on therealfinancemeter.com and my LinkedIn profile, which is Binot Shankar CFA. Let's keep in touch. Just add your name to the mailing list on therealfinancemeter.com and we'll tell you about new episodes, plus book reviews, upcoming events and blogs. Till the next time, onwards and upwards.